Well, good morning, church. How are we today? Let me ask again. We just took communion today, remembering our Savior's death and resurrection. How are we doing this morning, church? Okay, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And while you're doing that, I have a question for you. What would you say is the greatest resource that we have? What's the one thing that if you took it away from us, we would be in serious trouble? Uh, perhaps maybe you thought of food. Like food's important, right? Like our bodies need food. We can, but we, we can't go longer than a month or two without food. Maybe some of you thought water. I mean, water is a far more serious issue for us than food. In fact, you know, we can't even go more than three to five days without having water. And our bodies are 60% water. Isn't that a crazy thought? Like 60% of us is made up of water. That is a fascinating thing. But really, even you think of food and water, none of these compare to what I believe is one of the most important resources that we have. And the resource that I'm talking about is God's word. Do you realize what we have here when we hold this book in our hands? We have the very words of God that were given to us that tell us all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no greater resource in the world than God's word. Think about this. You could live for 100 plus years, get all the food you would need, all the water you would ever need, and you could die and spend an eternity suffering in hell. On the flip side of that, you could live a short, much shorter life, have very limited opportunities to have fresh water and food, and yet if you encounter Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, then you will live eternally in the glories of your Savior. There's not a greater resource than God's word. And this morning, as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see this very thing. We're going to see the importance and the beauty of what we have in the Bible. I've titled the message, How to Deliver and Respond to God's Word. And, and we're going to see here, uh, God's Word speaks for itself. We don't have to look very far to see that God's Word thinks very highly of itself. And we should as well consider what some of the verses in Scripture say about itself. Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's some pretty serious stuff right there. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Nobody would, in our right minds, think physically that a sword uh, is duller than the word of God. But in reality, in the things that really matter... The word of God is sharper. Matthew 4.4. 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here is Jesus responding to the devil when he's tempted, saying, man, bread, forget about bread. We can't live without the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, but consider what that statement means. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We have good works that God has prepared for us in advance. How do we accomplish those things? By being men and women of the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you want less sin in your life? How many of you want more godliness? How do we grow in that way? By hiding God's word in our hearts. Lastly, consider Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. What do we know about the earth? The earth will pass away. But God's word will never pass away. It is firmly fixed in the heavens. The truth for us this morning is that apart from God's word, we have no hope. The most vital resource that we have is God's word. And if that is the case, then what are the ramifications for us? 
If God's word is everything to us, then how will we live in light of that reality? And for that, we have Acts 16 to help us think through that. So look now with me, Acts 17, starting in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. (laughs) And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into this Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us on our own. In fact, we have this amazing resource to turn to. Lord, that if we really take into consideration what your word says of itself, and if we truly believe that, Lord, that will have radical ramifications for how we are called to live. And so this morning, I pray that you would bring deep conviction to us that we would see the beauty of your word. We would see the necessity for us to give our lives to the study of it. And Lord, that perhaps we need to make some changes in our lives of what we prioritize. So God, would you help us to understand what it looks like to deliver your word? And how are we to respond to it? God, we desperately need your help. And Father, we find great comfort knowing that we're two or more gathered in your name. And Lord, I thank you that when your word is proclaimed, your spirit is alive and active. And so God, convict us, encourage us, point us to what we need from you today. God, we're desperate for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, if you remember, we, we saw a possessed girl that led uh, to a riot. They, they healed this girl, and that led to a riot because all of a sudden the, the, the owners of this girl, the, the way they made money was taken away from them. And Paul and Silas, they were beaten with rods and thrown into prison. And while they were in prison, in the night, they were praying and they were singing hymns. And then an earthquake came. God sent an earthquake. He caused the prison doors to open. The prisoners' chains fell off. And through that, we saw God's power in his ability to save this jailer who was about to commit suicide, if you remember. And and he and his household came to Jesus. It was an amazing story. And then ultimately, Paul and Silas were set free from the prison. And they kept on going about sharing the gospel. I mean, isn't it amazing what Paul and what Silas went through? I mean, how many of you have been beat by rods this week? How many think after being severely beaten by rods, you could very quickly 
be headed to go do more missionary work. <laughs> I mean, if you were beaten for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, would be really tempted to think, man, maybe this isn't the best profession for me. <laughs> but yet, here we see this morning that they continued proclaiming the gospel. Paul's missionary takes them to two different places with two different, in two different locations with two different responses. And within that, what I want to talk about this morning is we see how we can deliver God's word, and we also see how to respond to it. And so, first of all, we see here that they make their way to Thessalonica. If you are familiar with the scriptures, you know that one of the books in the, in the New Testament is Thessalonians. And so, they are planting churches here, proclaiming the gospel here in Thessalonica. And of course, we see Paul goes to one of his favorite places. Uh, he just continually goes to the synagogue. And we see here that he spent three Sabbaths interacting with the Jews. And we, we see this beautiful picture of, this, of what Paul does and how he delivers the word of God. Look again at verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. I mean, this is jam-packed with lessons for us to take into consideration in how we are to deliver God's word. Do you believe that the delivery of God's word is only for preachers? Do you believe it's just my job? To study the scriptures, to know them, and to deliver this. Is that, my, is that only for me in this church? No, this is something that is for every believer. We are all called to understand the scriptures so we can come to the point when we interact with unbelievers, we have something to say. We have a response to give in light of what the scriptures say. I'm, I'm concerned for the church. If, if there's something that concerns me, the most, it's how much do, does the average Christian understand God's word today? How many people, for the first time in the last seven days, have opened up their scriptures just this morning? And if that's the case, then we aren't ready when people come to us and need Jesus to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, that's my prayer for us, is that we would get to the point where we would know how to talk to people about God and his word. And so how does Paul deliver the word here this morning? The first thing I want us to be aware of is this. Paul was Christ-centered. His message was Christ-centered. The, the central focus of what he wanted the Jews to understand here is the necessity of Jesus to suffer. And also the reality that not only did he suffer and die, but he defeated death by rising from the grave. Paul understood the importance that his theology must be Christ-centered. His only hope was Jesus Christ. And so everything that he shared with the people came from the understanding that it's all about Jesus. And it was necessary for him to suffer. See, this would have been a stumbling block for the Jews. Because what were the Jews wanting? Do you remember what, what I read right before communion about the ladies? And they were thinking he was going to be the savior. Like he was going to rescue them from the, from the physical captivity and the physical uh, harm that was, being, that was coming to them from the Romans. They were confused. They didn't understand the, the reality of what they really needed to be saved from. And so the fact that they had this man who suffered and died, I mean, it was a curse for someone to be hung on a tree. And so a stumbling block for the Jews was the fact that how could, a, how could this Savior die on a cross? I mean, think about it from an earthly perspective. Does the humble man, is that the person that usually gets put front and center for everybody to, to admire? Is that the kind of people that we admire in our culture today? Or do we look for the one who has the physical traits, the physical attributes? Maybe they're a good speaker. Uh, our, our athletes, I, I don't know how in the world we've given our athletes a, 
a, a stage to be able to speak to us truths of the world <laughs> when all they can do is dribble a ball or throw a ball. I'm not saying that everyone is that way, but it's like we, we tend to look at those who are gifted and we give them a platform to speak and say all of a sudden, well, because this person is famous, because they're an actor, because they're an athlete, we can listen to what they have to say. We, we tend to cherish those, those, those attributes uh, of characteristics and we don't really care so much about the character behind it. And so Jesus was a stumbling block because he, he, they couldn't compute with the fact that this man was, was quote-unquote weak and he died. And what Paul understood is that, no, this is, he had to die. There was no other way. He had to suffer for our sin because the only price for sin is a perfect sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice could come from a person who lives completely perfect without sinning against God. And that was what Jesus did. Paul was distinctly Christ-centered. As you consider your life, if you consider what you value the most, what you speak, are you a Christ-centered person? Is it all about Jesus for you? Do you understand that the only reason why you have hope this morning is because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross? It must start with Christ. Notice also this about Paul. He was word-centered. Christ was, or Paul was word-centered. Where did he turn to to show them Christ? He went to his word. He went to the word of God. Of course it was God's word. For, for most of us, it, it's a no-brainer that Paul would point to the scriptures. I mean, that's where we go. And we even see this with how Christ talked about why he was there. Turn with me, keep your finger here, turn real quick, just back a few pages to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to finish some of the things that I had written, uh, read this morning. Luke 24, verse 25 through 27, consider what Jesus himself said to these people about Jesus <laughs> and why he had to come. Verse 25 of Luke 24 says, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is amazing because I think most, if not all of us, are ill-equipped this morning to point to the Old Testament. Maybe not all of us. To point to prove why Jesus had to suffer. I mean, what's a passage that you think of when you think of the Old Testament and Jesus having to suffer? Like Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. Jesus showed them. They missed the point. They didn't understand. The, 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 peop, the disciples who were coming to the, just couldn't believe what was happening, that Jesus had to die. What's going on? Jesus showed them from the scriptures. And here Paul does the same thing. But he came to the scriptures to prove the necessity of Jesus Christ. We should also all look to the word. But we live in a world where these things aren't obvious. It's not obvious for us to look to God's word for the truth, is it? The world is not uplifting the Bible and proclaiming that this is our authority. Rather, it's the complete opposite. And if we are honest with ourselves, we don't always go to the Bible for the truth, do we? At least we don't always let the, let the scriptures reign in our hearts. Let me try to help you understand this. Have your emotions ever told you something that wasn't true? Have your feelings led you astray? Have you found yourself wallowing in fear, depression, anger, foolishness, and in those moments, you haven't turned to the word, and so those things continue to grow in us because we don't look to the scriptures all the time. All of us have had those moments, right? We all find our emotions pulling us away from the reality and the truths of scripture. When we sin, we have this devil, and it's really our flesh too, just saying, man, you're worthless. You're, you, you can't amount to anything in your life. You aren't going anywhere. Why don't you just give up now? I mean, what's the point? You even call yourself a Christian and you did that? And we can find ourselves, if we're listening to those voices and we're not pointing ourselves to the scriptures, 
We find ourselves going astray. But when we remind ourselves, I have to go to Romans 8.1 all the time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm dealing with this condemnation, but I know when I look at your word, it says there's no condemnation. And I realize, Father, that I could never come to you with my good works and be made right with you. So how could I, can, how could I now do that after salvation? I'm still dependent on what Jesus did for us on the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are tempted to allow our emotions to take us away from being word-centered. And I think a reason why that happens to us is because we just don't know the word. We haven't hidden it in our hearts. We're not opening it, our Bibles up Monday through Saturday. And I'm no different than the average person. I have my temptations. Or maybe I open the scriptures, and if I can just confess to you, there are weeks where I'm, the only time I'm opening it is to get ready for a message. But God, I need Jesus on a daily basis. We need it. We can't expect our lives to go well if we're not burying ourselves in the word of God, if we're not planting our feet into the truths of God's word. We must come to the understanding that truth exists outside of us. Today there's so much swirling around about what truth is. It's all about your truth. And somehow today we can... We can be a male and say that I feel like a female. What, what, what happened 20 years ago when that came about? There was counseling that came into the picture to help a person understand that this isn't right. This isn't true. This isn't a reality. But today, what does therapy look like for the person who says I'm a woman living in a man's body? It's all about helping that person thrive in who they really are, quote, unquote, now, if you struggle with that, like, we, I love you, and I want you to know the hope of Scripture that man was created to be man and woman was created to be woman. And the truth is we're all broken in that way anyway. None of us here has it all together. We are all sexually broken. But we have to come back to the Scriptures. We can't allow our feelings to rule us because they will take us astray. We can't allow society to decide that. There are some to say that we need to progress with the times. You ever heard that? What's tr what was true 20 years ago may not be true today. We have to progress with where, where society takes us, as if society has the authority. No, the truth exists outside of ourselves. How many of you want to be basing your life on an ever-evolving book of truth? <laughs> if everything is true, then what? Nothing's true. We have to have something to go back to. And this is important for us even as believers to remember. This is the word of God. This is the truth. Don't allow your feelings to dictate what you believe. So where do you run to for truth? If God's word is not the truth we stand on, then we are on sinking sand and nothing remains stable. So we deliver God's word by being Christ-centered. Truth is found in God's word alone. Notice also that Paul reasons with the people. He reasons with the people. You know, I find this, sadly, to be a lost art in our culture. Something that we have lost track of. And, and even in some cases the church has failed in this. We've lost the art of being able to have discussions with another person. To reason means to give rational thought to the disagreement of a topic or discussion. It's to give rational thought to that. How we debate and how we disagree with others matters if we really want to have a good discussion. If we really want to reason with somebody, we have to come to know where another person is coming from. And we have lost that. I want you to turn with me now to Colossians chapter 4. Towards the back of your Bible, Colossians chapter 4. If you've been with us for a long time, we went through the book of Colossians. But Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6, I love these verses. And these are so timely for us today. And this speaks 
to this idea and this understanding that we need to come from a place of reasoning with one another. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be what? Gracious. How often should our speech be gracious? Always. But, 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 they, you, you don't know how they're treating me. What does the scripture say? Let your speech be gracious. How often? Always. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When we lose our minds with someone in a debate, when we yell and scream and name call, in those moments, are we being reasonable? Is that reasoning with people? Reasoning also means that we have to come to a place of understanding why a person believes what they believe. We can't reason with people if we don't understand where they are coming from. And too often, we just don't take the time to come to that understanding. It takes, it's hard. It's hard when, when, when the argument the other person have is so unreasonable and makes absolutely no sense. It becomes very hard for us to allow our speech to be seasoned graciously with salt. Always. Those are hard moments. And those are the times where we need to ask questions. And remember, you've heard me say this before, but we need to ask questions to understand, not to respond. <laughs> How many times do we ask questions in order to get a rebuttal back, ready to slap somebody in their face, like figuratively speaking? We're not listening to what they have to say. We're not really looking. We're just, we're just like loading our gun while they're answering the question so that we can spout back to them without coming to a place of really understanding where a person is coming from. Sadly, here is how too many disagreements seem to go. A person says, well, I think this way. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? Have you ever been the one who's delivered that message? I, I remember um, having a conversation with somebody, and it was getting a little bit heated, and, and then he looked at me and says, well, your opinion sucks. <laughs> and I've done that before with people. I'm like, what does that really contribute? We shouldn't say sucks, by the way, kids, if you're in here. That's not a good word to say. Uh, but, like, is that being reasonable by just spouting off a name? Is that really coming to a place where we can reason through Scripture with someone if we don't understand where somebody is coming from? Probably a good message for our marriages, isn't it? <laughs> so, when it comes to speaking the truth of Christ, are you a person who looks to reason with others? Do you seek to understand where they are coming from so that you can respond with reasoning? Do you do so in a way that is gracious, even while speaking the truth? We don't sacrifice grace for truth, and we don't sacrifice truth for grace. Grace, or truth without grace is brutality. Grace without truth is hypocrisy. We don't sacrifice these things. And somehow we, we are pendulum swingers. Well, I got I to gotta make sure they know the truth and I got to scream louder than they scream. Like, where is that scripture? Jesus said, let your speech always be gracious. Always be gracious. No matter how they respond to you. Do you believe in the power of God and his word? So in our discussions of God's word, in our delivery of it, let us do so with reason. Also, notice in this, these, are, these next two just really come in line with one another. We reason and we also explain. So how do we deliver God's word? Through explanation. Through explanation. And this is tied in with reason. You don't just call a person an idiot and throw a response back that way. You explain why something is true. Again, I think the reason why we don't do this is because it takes time. It takes energy. You know, the quickest thing when I'm dealing with a disagreement with my kids is usually like, just be quiet and do what I said. <laughs> Instead of explaining why we do these things. Why do I want you to obey? It's because I don't want you to grow up and be someone who hates authority and rebels against every authority in your life. Because ultimately what that's going to mean is you're going to rebel against the authority of God and who he is in your life. That's why I want you to It's much easier to shorten the conversation instead of taking the time. But we must 
be willing and have the capacity to explain. You know, we live in a world where we have just about anything we want at our fingertips. The information age, right? We can come up with any, we, we, there's so many good tools that this can use, but there are also with it so many distractions, so many things that can pull us away. But let me ask you this, what, what is the m- most important thing in the world? What are we called to do? What's our mission? To glorify God. What matters more than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the, the lost? Is there anything that's more significant than glorifying God by making disciples? Is there anything that matters more? If that's the case, if there is nothing that matters more than those things, then it isn't, is it not worth our time to be men and women who study God's word so that we can understand it, so that we can be able to explain it at least at a certain level? Is it not worth our time to dedicate all the free time that we have to know what God's word says? Because the greatest thing that we can do is glorify God by making disciples. How does a person come to Christ? By, by man's wisdom or by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ? We are the deliverers. There's nothing that's worth our time more than studying his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Perhaps you need help in this area. There's there's no shame. Listen, if you are here this morning, you're like, I just don't know the word. There's no shame in being at that place right now. Rather, the shame would come by you being embarrassed that somebody might know that you don't know as much as maybe they think you know. And you being willing to say, I need help. Perhaps it would serve us to do a class or something of how to study the Bible. So if that's you, if you find yourself at a place like, Ben, I I want what you're saying. I just don't know these things. Or maybe your excuse is, I'm just not smart enough. Listen, this Not everybody has to be at the level where you can preach a message every week. This is not what it's about. This is not about giving yourself 40 hours a week of studying God's word. That's impossible. You have jobs. You have families that you have to take care of. But if we never open up God's word all throughout the week, we can't expect to come to any sort of knowledge. But here's the beautiful thing. What gift do we receive at salvation? The Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is given to you upon your repentance of sin and placing your faith in Christ. Do you not think that the spirit can take the word of God that you are dwelling on and hide it in your heart and allow you the opportunity to deliver it when the time comes? But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit can't work with what we're not giving effort into. We are desperately dependent on Jesus Christ, but we have the responsibility to open up the word of God. And when we come across hard things, listen, there are plenty of weeks. I don't, the last thing I'd want you to think is that studying the word of God comes easy. And that it's like I'm picking back my feet and I'm just like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to say every week. There are, there are days where I'm like crawling up here, like, Lord, you need to speak through me because I don't know what I'm saying. I don't understand this text. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We're like, God, I'm desperate for you to open my eyes. That's a great place to be. This is not about being a Bible scholar. This is just about being a student of the word who's in it on a regular basis and trusting the spirit to move through you. Are you able to explain God's word? And this really leads into the, the last point of how to deliver God's word. Paul proves, he proves it. He proves God's word. He proves the necessity of Jesus suffering and dying and the fact that he rose from the grave. And here's the important distinction to make here. He didn't prove Christ by forcing it on them. And he didn't turn to outside sources. He didn't prove it by trying to pull all this other stuff in to try to prove the reality of Jesus suffering and rising from the grave. He didn't try to manipulate Paul proved that Christ had to suffer by using God's word. 
what we can't do is try to use some other source to try to prove the Bible as if that's the main thing. Like, well, hey, how do we prove the Bible? We've got to look at something else in order to prove the Bible. No, no, everything else is compared to the Scripture. We don't compare the Scripture to everything else. Well, does this line up with science, for instance? Uh, I've said this before. I think it's very clear. Science has kind of lost its meaning today as well as truth. And here's the reality. When we try to consider things that happened thousands of years ago, we look at the same science... We look at the same conclusions, but we come up with different theories of how it came to that. (laughs) And so you can't even trust science. You have to go to the main source. Now, here's the thing. When we look at the beauty of science in the way that I've seen people interpret it, it doesn't go against the ways of Scripture. And here's the thing, too. Like, there are certain miraculous things that you cannot redo in the world apart from what Jesus did. You can't just raise somebody from the grave as if that, that is like it happens all the time. That's a miracle. There are things that we can't explain. And we have to be okay with that. But Paul points to the scriptures in order to prove that Jesus had to do what he did. We don't have to, we, we can't be looking for other things to try to prove the Bible. The Bible is truth. And here's the thing, it has stood the test of time. All the things that have been disputed against it have been proven wrong. Otherwise, do you think people would continually die for the sake of Christ if there were major doubts? And so, this is why it's so important for us to know the scriptures. And so, do you know the scriptures well enough to show others Christ? What steps can you take to grow in your understanding of scripture? My prayer for us is that we would be Christ-centered. It's got to start there. Jesus is everything. We have to come to a place where we are word-centered. We don't get our truth to see how does other people interpret the scriptures because that's going to lead us astray. Even when I am studying the Bible and preparing a message, I want God to show me what his word says first. And so I am very slow to go look at other commentaries. Rather, the commentaries are there to help me like, Lord, uh, Hopefully I didn't interpret this because of indigestion that led me a certain way. Like it helps me line up. Like am I off base here? But we go to the scriptures. We need to be word-centered. And then we can trust the Holy Spirit to help us come to a place where we can reason with others. We can explain God's word. And we can prove it. Look at verse 10 of Acts 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. A little bit different than the church in Thessalonica, right? Like these people are more noble and they respond amazingly to God's word. They are overcome with what they're interacting with. And the reason why they're in Berea is because the, those, the Jews in Thessalonica kicked them out. But we can take note from how the Bereans receive God's word. So let me just go through a few quick things here. How do we respond to God's word? We respond by receiving it. Respond by receiving it. So Paul and Silas, they face some opposition in Thessalonica. So that's why they ended up coming to Berea. They encountered these people hungry for the word. Once again, where's Paul hanging out? <laughs> hanging out in the synagogue. And here's the thing. They welcomed it. They desired to know truth. Anybody who desires to know the truth should not just cast out the scriptures right away. Anybody who is seeking after what is true must come and face the reality of scripture. And they were willing to do that because what they desired most of all was the truth, not that their opinions were proved true by something they read. They were open to it. They received it. They took it into consideration. Something that we are called to do. When it comes to pursuing the truth, we must receive the word of God. And for Christians especially, it's got to be the main thing we go to. Not what does so-and-so say about this topic. Even if it's a Christian author, we must first go to the texts. That's been something that I've been striving after. Is like I, I, I mean, I point people to read certain books from certain people. But ultimately, we have to understand that this is our ultimate authority. It's scripture, not what man has to say. 
we must receive it. Notice also, not only did they just receive it, but there was an attitude that they received it with. They received it with eagerness. They were ready to jump into it. They were more than willing to read. There, there was enthusiasm behind it. When they gathered in the synagogue, they didn't have to drag them there. When they said, like, hey, it's time to church, there was this excitement because we are going and we're going to hear the scriptures being taught. Let me ask you, is there a sense of eagerness in your heart this morning to come because the word of God was going to be taught. We were going to open up God's word and we were going to wrestle through with it. We were going to sing the truths of it. Is there an eagerness in your heart for the word of God? And th this all has to come back from the reality of do we believe that this truly is the word of God? Do we believe that as we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that it's God breathed? Do you realize that? The creator of the universe is speaking to us. You want to hear God's voice? Open up his word. Why, why should we be eager? It's because when we open this, we get to encounter the living God. Do you believe that? If that is true, that should dramatically change how we approach God's word. Tomorrow morning, you're getting up with enthusiasm. This morning, this week, I was encouraged once again. Goodness, this is God's word. Man, how quickly I just look at it as something I have to do. This is something we get to do. We get to encounter the creator. What more exciting thing in life is there than that? Is that how you approach it, with eagerness? Turn with me real quick to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Second Peter. This really speaks again to the beauty of God's word. This is going to be homework for you this week if you want to go further. Uh, but consider what God's word says here. Second Peter 1 verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. John 1.1 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is the word. His divine power has given us everything for life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of the son. Through the knowledge of the word. You want to pertain everything you need for life and godliness, get in the word. Listen, it's through his word, it's by Christ that we have been granted his precious and very great promises. When we open up God's word, this is not like just a bunch of things that I have to do. We're encountering the living God. Precious and very great promises. Maybe... Maybe your assignment this week should be, I just need to rekindle my love for his word. I need to be reminded of what God's word is for us. Do I look at it as a checklist or do I look at it as something that gives us life? Lastly, how do we respond to God's word? Examination. Examination. This is a critical piece to our pursuit of God's word. I know Christians who are excited about God's word. They love it. I love God's word. But it remains like this throughout the week. Plenty of enthusiastic people who say they love God's word. But do you really love something if you never really get into it? It's like saying, oh, I love my wife, but we never do anything. There's, there's not a genuine love there. Like there's examination. We're opening the scriptures. And what does it have to say? We can't just be enthusiastic and expect ourselves things to go well. I see this a lot in people. They get fired up. They come to some revival. They come to Revive Indiana and they get fired up about what they hear. But then, like, they don't really dive into the word. And, and so, here's the truth. Do feelings stay? Do feelings stick around? They come and they go. I love my wife. And there are plenty of times still 
where I have butterflies when I look at her. But the truth is there are also times where, like, feelings just aren't there. So are we to take those feelings and say, well, we should probably call it quits because I don't have these feelings. The same is true for God in our pursuit of him. That's why we examine. That's why we go to the scriptures. That's why we come to church when we don't feel like it. So we open the Bible and we don't feel like it because we know we need God's word and our feelings just lead us astray. And sometimes those feelings of despair and fear, they hang on and we're still in the word. And then we continue to stay in the word because we know that's where our hope is. But we also remember that this world is fleeting and it's not our home and we're not going to find heaven here on earth. So we keep examining the scriptures because our feelings lie to us. Our feelings betray us and our feelings change like the wind. We can't allow our emotions to dictate our study. Rather, we allow our study to dictate our emotions. Let me say that again. We can't allow our emotions to dictate our study of the word. Rather, we allow our study of the word to dictate our emotions. This is why I'm an emotional worshiper. That's just me. I'm expressive outwardly. I'll cry sometimes. Because I'm just aware of God's gospel, the the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And I read the scriptures and I'm overcome. It's the truth of scriptures, the reality of what I read that affects me emotionally. So that when I'm at a place of despair, I remind myself of the truth of God's word. When I'm feeling condemned, I remind myself that there's no condemnation. And I have to keep reminding myself that because my feelings still want to tell me that I'm condemned. We pursue it. We allow our study to dictate what we should believe and ultimately that will affect our emotions from time to time. Emotions are important. We don't just throw them away. Jesus felt emotions. But they need to be dictated by the truth and the reality of God and who he is. So as we wrap up this morning, let me just help us to understand this. We're called to deliver God's word. We're called to study it. Called to take it to the people, but here's the truth. Not everybody's going to respond in faith and repentance. There's different reactions we see here. Some of the people responded with enthusiasm. They repented of their sin. They came to Christ. There are some that rejected it. We should be prepared for that because we can lose hope to think, man, I had everything exactly how I should say it. It was perfect. I couldn't have said it any better. We plant, we water, but who brings the growth? God brings the growth. Remind that. And I want, I want us to be, remi- I want to remember this too. We may even face hostility. We may face persecution like Paul and Silas did. There are Christians all around the world who are losing their lives for their faith. And things aren't looking all that great here. I don't see persecution by death. <laughs> but I certainly see persecution by words and hatred and spinning things on us, but we love Jesus more than we love how the world treats us, so don't be sidetracked by those things. Let me leave you with a few action steps if you want to go further into this. Number one, I encourage you, memorize 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, those verses I read. Let that sink in, the power of God's word. And so when you're not feeling those emotions, remind yourself. This is why we hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Like when we hide God's word, it also gives the Holy Spirit something to bring up. And so if we keep running and reminding ourselves, I don't really feel like reading the word. But I remember that it has precious and very great promises. Read Psalm 119. This just speaks so much of the benefits of God's word. I think I've had you do this before, but I'm going to have you do it again. Go through Psalm 119. Underline everything that speaks of what it says about God's word. Things like, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a benefit of God's word. And just to remind ourselves, because our emotions fail us, of God's word is not just a book of rules. It's, It's life for us. And then, number three, I just encourage you, get in the word. You don't have to be an expert. Get in the word. And then lastly, get help. This is why we are so big on small groups. It's because we need each other. I benefit from our small group just as much as everybody else does, and I lead it. I benefit from the fellowship of other believers. I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers, 
There are things that people bring up in our small group, and I'm like, I never thought of that before, but this lines up exactly with what it says here. And so don't be ashamed if you need help. Don't be ashamed if you've got to go to somebody. Maybe you've had this persona of I have it all together, but you've been hiding, and you realize you don't know the Scriptures. Let me encourage you. It's far more foolish to hide that than it is to say, I need help. So I encourage you to get help. If Perhaps on the register, hey, Ben, it would be helpful if we had a how to study your Bible. We would love to come alongside you. Please let us know how we can best serve you. Well, let me invite you now to stand as we close in prayer. Um, God's word is powerful. God's word can change us. So let me pray over us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. Lord, I pray for us that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for it, Lord. We desperately need you. We are led astray all the time. And, God, we need you to bring us back on track when we get astray. And so remind us, God, that it's the truth that is stable. And our emotions flee and they fail. It's the word of God that lasts forever. So, God, would you make us students of your word? Would you allow us to be faithful deliverers, not with super intelligent words? Even Paul said, I come to you in weakness. I I don't come with fancy words. I just come with the gospel. And, Lord, the same is true for us. We don't need to come with all the fancy words to say the simple truths of the gospel, Lord. And so, God, help us not to make excuses. Help us to go into the world. Remind us that we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So, God, let us let our light shine that they may see our good works and give glory to you who is in heaven. Father, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A quick update on our building. I just want to let you know where we're at. We, a while back we said let's pray and fast and we got to tell them by the end of April. A few weeks ago I told you that they gave us to the end of May. Uh, to decide that. And so we just want to let you know like where we're at as elders and what we're thinking God is saying at this point. Uh, we believe at this point that the, the best step forward for us that we're excited about is to purchase the building. So that's what we're aiming for. Um, that decision doesn't have to be made final until May 31st, but uh, we invite you to be prayerful continually about that. Keep fasting. And if there's something else that God wants for us, that he would show that. But at this point, that's what we're aiming for. And so we'll be coming to you and asking the Lord to move in your heart of how you might contribute to that. Because obviously we don't want to be in debt for a long time. Uh, but I just want to give you an update so that you can keep praying, keep fasting. Uh, excited at what the Lord is going to do. God is doing some amazing things here. He's bringing some people from different cultures. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. There have been people here who, who don't even know English. But they're desiring community and they want to learn English. And that might be an awesome opportunity for us to be the loving hands and feet of Christ. So as, as you have people in here, maybe they don't know English, don't keep that from being a hindrance of you to reaching out and introducing yourself, even if they don't know what you're saying. Like, we can still have those. We don't need to, like, separate ourselves. Like, what an awesome thing that God is doing uh, through us. And so have a great week. Love you guys.